You're listening to audio from Risen Life Fellowship. If you'd like to learn more about our church or donate to this ministry, please visit risenlifefellowship.com. Um, well, good morning. Um, you get to see me again. Sorry about that. You're getting a lot of me this morning. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. Before I start, I want to point out that for those of you who have not been with us since not even the, the theater days, like for those of you who weren't here for that, we were in a movie theater for a while. But before that, we were in a storefront that was had one bathroom, and the bathroom was in the sanctuary. So it was awkward for everybody. But, um, but more so than anything, um, I remember when it came to Christmas, Christmas was always a scary time for our church because no one would ever be here. We were a bivocational church, but also we were a, a church of 20-somethings mostly, and so that meant we had to go home to families, or we had to leave college and go back to where we were from to go to church. So it is honestly like the most heartwarming thing in the world to show up, and I still have like a full church. That, that just shows growth, and that shows that this is becoming not just a college ministry church, it's becoming a house of worship and a, and a family that this is our root. And so I just love seeing everyone here this morning. I, even this morning, I was like, ah, we're probably going to have smaller numbers, you know, it, it's, it, we'll do what we can. And then, like, people just kept flooding in. I'm like, oh, man, I love being proven wrong. So um, so thank you for being here. I'm so excited to be here the day after Christmas. Um, what better time to be in God's house than, than this time of year? Um, and so, obviously, you know, we have uh, a bivocational church. Everybody in this church is working a job outside of this church. And so if you're new here, um, every person that is a member here helps run this place. Um, and so... I'm just so thankful that even though you see me or Josh, you may see Stephen. If you if you look up there, you'll you'll see uh, Forrest and Kenneth. Um, but you, you will you. It's not just the people you see, but every person that's it's here and makes a difference. Um, and I love this church. And so Josh asked Josh asked me if I wanted to teach this morning, and I was like, what better thing to teach on than the birth of Christ? I mean, stereotypical, right? It's Christmas. You've got to teach on the birth of Christ. But I want to take it a step further. I want to take a look into why the birth of Christ even means anything, what's important about that. But also, more than anything, where did that go from? We had a birth of Christ, but if it's just a baby born, but then the baby doesn't become anything or doesn't do anything, it's, it's not that miraculous. Um, and so we're going to lead into that. And then at the end of this service, we're going to lead in a time of communion as a family here at Risen Life. Um, which Josh put perfectly, what better way to end the year than, than taking in communion as a, as a body. So, um, if you will, grab your uh, Bibles for me. We're going to open up to Matthew 1. Um, Matthew and Luke, both Gospels, give a really good view of the birth of Christ. Um, looking more of John and Mark. Mark kind of gives a little bit more, he gets down to business. He just starts talking about, you know, Jesus' ministry. And then John gets a little bit more descriptive <clears throat> into the before and after and, and, and who God is, and it's the Word of God, and the Word was God. But here we have a beautiful picture of Christ born of the Virgin Mary. So if you will stand with me, we're going to read the Scripture together, and we're going to start in verse 18. So giving you a little bit of a prelude before we get into this, we have the genealogy of Christ, which is going to come into an important method here as we get into some of what I'm going to talk about, but... Starting in verse 18, we see now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, 
Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being just man, and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about the things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take you, Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded, and took him his wife, and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. You may be seated. Now as we go forward, for the... For most of you, you've, you've probably heard the story of Jesus, the birth of Jesus. <clears throat> I love the fact that so many times through that story, there's so many intricate details that happen, and it's all prophecy being fulfilled. And that's what we're going to dive into today, is, is some of these prophecies that you see fulfilled in Christ. Now, for those of you who don't know, prophecies are scattered throughout the entire Old Testament. Before Jesus came to earth, there was, there was scripture, and there was prophetic words spoken through the Holy Spirit, through the prophets of God, proclaiming that there was one to come that was going to save us from our sins. There was one that was going to be taken apart, different from all, clean, and to be sacrificed for our sins and to justify us and glorify us before the Lord. Now, the thing is, is there's over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament. Some scholars kind of speculate the exact number. Some say, eh, this is kind of prophetic. And the other one's like, eh, you know, it could be. I don't know. But we know for a fact there's at least 300 throughout the entire Old Testament. What's amazing to me is that if you take a handful of those prophecies, so 10, 11, the statistical probability of Jesus fulfilling 10 to 11, a handful of those prophecies, it's, it's impossible. But he fulfilled all of them. He fulfilled 300 plus. And, you'll get, and I'm going to take you in even deeper. If you have not looked at all the prophecies, go on Google, go on YouTube. You can find so many resources where they break down every prophecy. Carrie knows I was on the couch last night, and I was going to do a good synopsis of almost all of them, kind of. And then I, I couldn't get past just the, the ones about Jesus being born. That was the one that like, I was like, there's so much here, I, I'm not going to be able to fit it all. I told Josh, it's supposed to be like a 10-minute devotion, and then, eh, well, too, too bad. Um, so we can put a good majority of these prophecies into kind of four groups or four categories. So like I said, we have Jesus' birth, right? Prophecies that lead us into who is coming and how is this child going to be born. Then we have it into Jesus' ministry. Then Jesus' death and resurrection. And then finally, Jesus' role in the future church. So the, the church in the gospel of Jesus Christ, how we play a part. That's us. So we kind of have four phases here. <clears throat> but what's crazy to me is that almost all of the prophecies that you're going to find alluding to the birth of Jesus, even to the ministry of Jesus, even to the death of Jesus, and even to the church's role, a lot of them can be found in Genesis, the first book of the Bible. It's not like these are coming up like, you know, the, the book before the gospel, like, oh, you know, we, we snuck these in right before Jesus came. No, this was from the beginning. The, the beginning Jesus was meant to come. 
that shows you a testament to the sovereignty of God, to the justness of God, that even when we failed in the garden and we sinned against God and separated ourselves forever, God already had in work a redemption plan. That the Old Testament isn't just some crazy collection of books that is mundane and and just rules and, and just regulations that we have to have to live a perfect life. No, it's all a huge arrow pointing to the coming Messiah. And I love that there's really three phases of the whole Bible. If you really want to nail it down to a, to a typical overview of the Bible, it's before Christ, Christ on earth, after Christ. That's all it is. It's the things that lead in preparation to the coming Messiah. It is the ascension of the Messiah, the one who came, died on the cross for our sins, rose from the grave, body and all, and now he has ascended into heaven, and we, the church, are fulfilling his great mission. So we're in the last stages. We're in the, we're in the end of the book here, which it means that there is an urgency for us as a church to go and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's an urgency for us to fulfill this great commission, to tell the world of Jesus. And I can't help it. I, I probably ranted on this a little bit to carry more so than most, but I'm, I fall into this, this problem of, man, when Christmas comes around, I get really hyped up about the birth of Jesus. I'm like, yes, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in a manger, yes. And then December 26th, I'm like, okay, you know, get me to Easter. The death of Jesus, yes, like he rose. My Savior's born again, I'm born again. And then I'll get to Christmas. And it's this weird hopscotch. And it's, it's the typical American Christian, right? We, we live, and some Christians, I, I remember as a kid, I had so many friends who, oh, well, we don't go to church until Easter, and then we'll, we'll go to church. And then we'll go to church on Christmas for the Christmas Eve candlelight, and then we'll go to Easter again. And it's this, it's this weird cycle. But honestly, as a Christian, and I'm saying this to myself, is shouldn't we be glorifying and, and celebrating the birth and death and ministry and resurrection and all of Jesus all the time? Shouldn't that be every day? Shouldn't that be December 26th? Shouldn't that be June 10th? Shouldn't that be September 10th? Like all of the days of the year, we should be celebrating who Jesus is. Because if Jesus doesn't exist, we don't exist. If Jesus doesn't die, we don't be born again. If Jesus doesn't raise again, we don't have everlasting life in Christ. I mean, it all is compounding on Jesus. Everything we have. And so if you want to say, oh, you know, I'm able to do all the things in the world because I can, well, I'm going to tell you that that's all false according to the scripture of God. According to the scripture of God, you can't even get out of bed. But that's a gift from the Lord. You have strength to even rise, to to have a brain to think, to do all the things. God has, has gifted you with that. And so starting off, I want to focus primarily this morning on Jesus' birth. What do we know about the coming Messiah? And the first one we kind of see, <clears throat> at least not necessarily in, in, in lineage, but, but we see the first one I want to talk about is Abraham. See Abraham, Father Abraham, the father of many nations, right? And that's one of the first prophecies we see is, and the nations will be blessed through Abraham's lineage. You see it in Genesis 12, 3. He says, I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you, Abraham. This is the man who had a wife who could not bear a child. 
Isn't that funny? We're going through Genesis in our small group. Uh, I'm in the, the Hotz's small group. We've been going through Genesis. We're over halfway through. <clears throat> and time and time again, you see God use people that, why would you pick them out of the lot? Right? Why would you, if you're going to bring your heir, Jesus, through this lineage, why would you, the first person you start with, why would you pick the one with the wife that is too old to bear a child? Well, and it, it just shows God is proclaiming his glory. Because even Abraham and Sarah didn't believe it. And they went and had an illegitimate child with one of their servants. Because they thought, we need to make sure this happens. And I'm not going to do it because I can't bear a child. And then you see God fulfill that promise eventually. And all it was take was patience. And you see the fulfillment of this prophecy. And this is one thing I'm going to do through all of the birth of Jesus prophecies. We're going to see the prophecy, but then I'm going to show you the fulfillment. So we have Genesis 12:3. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curse you, I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. The fulfillment you see in Acts 3, 25 through 26. That's one thing about God that's amazing. You can say that it was fulfilled, the fact that Jesus showed up, but he fulfills it specifically with Scripture. Scripture interprets Scripture in the Bible. And it says, Acts 3, 25 through 26, and you are heirs of the prophets of the covenant God made with your fathers. Isn't that amazing that God even shows you, like, I'm going to spoon-feed you the fact that this is the Messiah. It says, God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. He said the blessing that was to come through the people was Jesus. And Jesus came and he's turned you away from your wicked ways and shown you the path to everlasting life, which is through him. And this is in teaching in Solomon's portico. This is by Peter. This is Peter preaching this to the people. He's saying, guys, we're the blessing. We've been blessed by Jesus. He is the one who came through Abraham's lineage. And then you see God even further beat it into our heads as you see Isaac come from Abraham, right? The son of, the son of Abraham, the one that was to be sacrificed, but then a ram in a thicket was brought. God's covenant with Isaac's ancestors. He says in Genesis 17, 19, then God said, yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you will call him Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting co covenant for his descendants after him. So not only does God say, Abraham, I'm going to make a descendant. I'm going to give you a, a people that outnumber the stars, but it's going to be through your son Isaac. And I'm going to establish that covenant with him and then with his son. And furthermore, and you see this fulfillment in Romans you see Paul telling this to the Roman people? He says in 9-7, nor because they are his descendants are they Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. He's telling the people it is through Isaac that, that Jesus came, and he's, he's teaching on God's purpose to the, the people of Romans. And then you see it again with Jacob. The nations will be blessed through Jacob's offspring. I love how God spoon-feeds us the fact that Jesus is coming through this, this genealogy. He says, Genesis 28, 14. Rem remember, this is just Genesis. I could go through every book of the Bible in the Old Testament. You can find it, but this is just Genesis. I'm nerding out if you can't tell. So Genesis 28, 14. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. All peoples. A reminder, 
that this is before Jews and Gentiles were reconciled together. That didn't make sense to them. How are all people on the earth going to be reconciled together? And then you see fulfillment in Luke 3. The son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, and the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor. We see that Jacob, along with Isaac and Abraham, is a part of the genealogy that leads to Jesus. And you get this beautiful synopsis in Luke. Before you even get to the, the birth, you, get, you see it in Matthew, you see these genealogies that are given to us, and we think, why are we given this long list of names we cannot pronounce? That's an inside joke in our small group, because most of us cannot pronounce the names in Genesis. Um, but you see this long genealogy in the gospel of Jesus. It is to show you that the offspring that was promised through Abraham, through Isaac, through Jacob, and through the list of it all, is shown it's all for a purpose, and it's all leading to Jesus Christ. Isn't that the best way to start the gospel of Jesus? It's saying all of this, and you've got to think, this is from a perspective to the Jews and the Gentiles. To us, it's like, yeah, it's a list of names, but to them, that's their ancestors, right? Especially to the Jews. And to the Gentiles, it's like, we've heard of these people, but we didn't know that this was all so intricately woven for the Savior to bring us into the mix. And you see even more, you see also the scepter will come through Judah, you see David's offspring will be an eternal kingdom. You see even in the very beginning of Genesis in the garden that you will bruise his heel, but he'll bruise your head to the serpent who is Satan. What did that even mean, right? When we, when we read that just in, in, in and of itself, but we read it in context. We read that, yeah, the, you know, the, the fall of Adam and Eve was a bruise to us, but truly it's going to be Satan's downfall because one's coming that's going to be God and man and flesh. And then getting into a little bit more specific stuff, Isaiah is packed full of, of prophecy. It's like one of the most heavy prophetic books. But you see it in Psalm, you see it even in Proverbs, you see it through all. But a virgin will give birth, and he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. You see that in Isaiah 7. I love how specific some of these prophecies are, and you're going to see even more how specific they can get. So specific that it doesn't make sense. But a virgin will be give birth and will be called Emmanuel. Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Fulfillment, Luke 1, And even what we just read in Matthew 1. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And if you didn't catch it in Matthew, in the scripture we just read at the beginning, in 12 down, the prophets saying, they quoted scripture when they said, he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. So they know the scripture. They said, this is already a prophecy here fulfilled. They even have a prophecy that says the Messiah will end up in Egypt. Hosea 11.1, 1, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of G Egypt, I called my son, Big S. Not just little S, but Big S, I called my son. Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Fulfillment, Matthew 2, 14 through 15. So he, Joseph, got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord has said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. God's continuing love for Israel. So, I want to set camp here for a second, and point out the fact that when in our life does something go so haywire, so wrong, this wasn't a part of the plan, God. This wasn't a part of what we were supposed to do, God. 
and we freak out. And then here is a testament that even in chaos, God's plan comes to fruition. Correct? We see Herod, who knew of a child to be born, set out a decree to kill all children under a certain age, the age that Jesus fell in. I'm sure that Joseph and Mary in that moment, who have just been given the gift of the God in flesh, the one who is to come, and as soon as I get him, now a decree is out to kill him? That doesn't work. God, you're not supposed to do that. That's not a part of the plan. How many times do we play that card in our life? God, you say you have a plan in my life. You say that you're going to see this good work to completion, but yet... It's not going the way I thought it should go. It's not working out the way it should work out, right? But even in the midst of absolute chaos, Herod, imagine babies being killed across all of Jerusalem, all of Israel. But not even so, just the fact of the, the, the sheer fear of trying to get Jesus out of, of, of Israel into Egypt. And the fact that going into Egypt, he was still going into a foreign land. Joseph and Mary, you've got to think, they're already not the, like the, the picture-perfect children here. You see it in, Je- in, in the scripture of Matthew, that when Jesus was born, before Jesus even came, Joseph had to make a decision to say, I'm not going to make an example out of her because she's pregnant without a husband. Because in that culture, that was a, that was a great sin. A woman was going to be pulled into the streets, embarrassed, made a mockery of. She was seen unclean. And what Joseph does out of actual faith is he says, no, I'm not going to do that to Mary. I'm going to protect Mary. I'm going to keep her safe. I'm going to keep her, her honor. and I'm going I'm I'm to steal her away. And then the angel came to him and, and fortified that faith. You see all that they come through, and then now they hit it with, now we've got to flee? Let alone they're, they're fulfilling prophecy the whole time. That ever since Hosea in the Old Testament, we knew that was to come. I think that's incredible. And then Christ will be born in Bethlehem. Why Bethlehem? You you see it all through Scripture, even the fact that Jesus grew up in Nazareth. Like the Nazarene kid? Nazarene is, is, is a joke. It's a little puny village why would the savior come out of nazareth and then take it down a peg he's born in a manger in bethlehem that doesn't make any sense mind you that when we get to the ministry part there's even prophecy showing that our our savior should be of a servant that doesn't make any sense not to the people of of god who thought he was going to come with a sword and and lay down the enemies to them but the christ will be born in bethlehem micah 5 2 but you Bethlehem, for you are a small among the clans of Judah. Out of you will come from me one who will be the ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. So even you see in the, clan, in the clans of Judah, in the tribes of Israel, so not only do you have all the tribes, you've got Judah, even smaller down, you've got Bethlehem. That is where Jesus will come out of. And he's coming out of Judah. Even that is, is, is amazing. 
And you see the fulfillment in Luke 2.4. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, who is of the lineage of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, to be registered with Mary, they're going for census, his betrothed wife, who was with child, so that it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. She gave birth to Jesus because they had to go to a census and she couldn't get back in time. In that, do you not think there was probably chaos in, in, the, in the people of, and in the minds of Joseph and Mary? Not only did they flee to Egypt, but now they got to go up to Bethlehem. The inn was full. They're freaking out. And they've got to give birth to the Savior of the world in a manger. Probably smelled like manure, hay everywhere, and barely even a roof over their head. And that's where our Savior was born. And all in all, they were fulfilling all the prophecy every step of the way. So I'm telling you now, if you are in a place in your life where everything feels chaotic, good. Welcome to the life of a Christian. Welcome to the story of God. It is the beauty and the glory of Jesus pulled out of all the chaos. That's all it is. And you see it even in the, in the fulfillment and the delivery of Jesus Christ. If it's going to be chaotic when Jesus comes to earth, it's going to be chaotic throughout your whole life. Just buckle up. But it's all working for a better purpose in those who are living in the faith of Jesus Christ. If you're living in obedience to Christ and you're pursuing Christ, chaos is going to follow, but the chaos is going to mean something. And he's going to give you surrounding peace throughout the chaos. Now, this is just the birth of Jesus. Um, and we have so much more that we could dive into. I could spend another hour in Genesis. I could hang out in Isaiah for a while. Go to Hosea, maybe. Go to Psalm. But I just want to give you a quick overview of some of the things you see, not only the Jesus' ministry, but his death and resurrection, and also the role of the church. So looking in Jesus' ministry, Christ's ministry will destroy the, the devil's work. You see that in Genesis 3. Jesus will have a sinless, blemish-free life and ministry. You see that in Exodus 12. The Messiah will be humbled in order to serve mankind. Psalm 8. Jesus will be the perfect sacrifice. Psalm 40. Jesus will teach in parables. How specific is that? You don't have to say that. You don't have to tell me that he's going to teach in parables. But that's one of the things that Jesus is famous for. He taught in parables. You see that in Psalm 78. Christ's ministry will begin in Galilee. Isaiah 9. We didn't have to know that, but that's where it began. The Messiah would be preceded by a forerunner, Isaiah 40. Who is that? John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus. The man who said that I am the least of these, I'm not even worthy to loosen his sandal strap. Jesus will be a gentle redeemer of the Gentiles. That was in Isaiah 42, before the Gentiles were even thought of being a part of God's people. The Messiah will bring an end to sin, Daniel 9. He will be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, Zechariah 11. We didn't need to know that, but guess what? That's exactly what happened. Jesus' death 
and resurrection. We see Christ will be our Passover lamb. We see that in Exodus 12. None of his bones will be broken. Exodus 12. Jesus will be lifted up and everyone who looks on him will live. Numbers 21. That came out of Numbers. Numbers is the book that no one reads. You can admit it. No one wants to read Numbers. But even prophecies in Numbers. Christ will be resurrected. Job 19. Messiah's suffering would include thirst. Why is that included? Suffering is going to include that he is of thirst. That's in Psalm 22, and you see it in Scripture. In, in, in In the Gospels, you see that Jesus proclaims that he's thirsty. Fulfillment of Scripture. Christ's hands and feet would be pierced, Psalm 22. They would cast lots for his clothing, Psalm 22. Messiah will cry, into your hands I commit my spirit, Psalm 31. The Messiah will be quiet before his accusers, Psalm 38. Christ's thirst will be quenched with vinegar and gall, Psalm 69. And what did they do? They offered him on a spear, a sponge soaked with wine and gall. The Messiah will conquer death, Isaiah 25. And then just to give you a couple for Jesus' role in the church, God will raise up a prophet like Moses, Who's Jesus in Deuteronomy 18. Messiah will judge the world justly, Psalm 9. The Messiah will pour out his spirit, Isaiah 44. No one knew what that meant. What does that mean to pour out his spirit? And then he pours that out on us. And then the Messiah will usher in a new covenant, Jeremiah 31. You can't tell me that our Savior, who was born in a manger, grew up, started his ministry in Galilee as a servant, stood accused of blasphemy even though he was blameless, hung on a cross, not a bone was broken, and he died on that cross and then rose again and there's still an empty grave today. You can't tell me that that is not the Messiah and that's not God in flesh. I only gave you handful of prophecy that's not all 300 plus i encourage you when you leave today go and look them up there are some that are even more specific than the ones i gave you and they're specific not for a reason like 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 the 30 pieces of silver did we need to know that that level of detail and god said yes you do because it is all to my plan and we see that happen with judas And so, as we kind of phase out, I want to kind of go into this time of communion, but before we do that, I want you to bow your heads for me. I want to lead in this time, before we enter into a time of communion, I want to reflect on what, what how do you see Jesus? I think that's a question that as a Christian you should be asking yourself consistently, because it's easy to put our God into a box it's easy to place God or, or Christ into a perception that, that he's limited. And it's only a bi- based on our understanding. But we serve a God that surpasses all understanding. His ways are not our ways. His ways are not our thoughts. He's above us in every way. And he sent his son Jesus 
in the most unexpected way, but yet fulfilling every prophecy possible. Which is the impossible. And so I encourage you, if there's something between you and, and Christ, if there's something you're holding on to, whether that be bitterness, fear, I'm telling you, take it to Him. Submit yourself before the Lord because you serve the everlasting God. The God that came in the form of man, born in a manger, cleansed the feet of people, killed people. He wasn't up in some high tower. He was in the dirt, loving and serving for you and me. And he was paraded through the streets, beaten, spat upon, crown of thorns pushed into his head. And he was hung on a tree, mocked, even when he was saying, God, why have you forsaken me? They thought he, he said, Eloi. They thought he was saying Elijah. They started mocking him for it. Saying, look, he's calling out to Elijah. This is, the, this is the God that even on the cross looks to the, to the robber hanging next to him and said, surely you will be with me in paradise. Even then he still served. And then he dies and then he raises again. And because of that, you, if you are in Christ this morning, have everlasting life and you have an inheritance set up in heaven. Some of these Christmases may have been difficult for some. I know that not every Christmas is the picture-perfect Christmas. Most aren't. Families are messy. We've had loss this year. We've had difficult times. I'm sure some of you, your Christmases look very different this year compared to others. I know Carrie's and I's did. But even in the midst of that, you don't have to worry because you serve Christ. Christ has overcome. You're not home yet. So I encourage you, take this, this word, read it, but also when you look at the, the birth of Jesus, when you look at the death of Jesus and everything in between, don't just read it because it's a story. Live it out because it is everything to you, Christian. This isn't just a time of year that we could say Jesus is the reason for the season. Jesus is everything all the time. And if you don't know Jesus this morning, I encourage you, today's the day. What better day? Not because it's the day after Christmas, but because it is the day that you still have breath in your lungs to proclaim Jesus. If you don't know who Jesus is, if you don't know the, the love that comes from serving Christ, please find me, find Josh, find anybody in this church. If you are a Christian, you are equipped to tell the story of Jesus Christ and lead someone into that commitment. I'll ask you just go out and be intentional with people and love people. I'm going to pray for us real quick, and then Josh is going to come up and, and lead us into a time of communion. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much. Not only that you sent your son Jesus, which is more than enough, but the fact that you give us a word that shows us time and time again that it was all intentional 
and it was all planned, even from Genesis. How great are you that you do that? Lord, we love you and we thank you for everything you've given us. Thank you for this time that we get to gather together in the house of the Lord and worship your holy name in safety. And I pray that if anyone here, if anyone does not know you, Lord, I pray today is the day of salvation and they come to know you. And I pray you soften their heart, Lord, and and those seeds are planted. We love you and we thank you for everything. It's your name we pray. And we'll move into this time of communion as he plays uh, through this song. Um, I want you to bow your heads and, and close your eyes and <clears throat> just spend this time thinking about not only the birth of Christ, but the, but the sacrifice of Christ, um, the mission of Christ, which, which was to, to come to, to be a sacrifice, to come and, and die for us, to take the, the weight of our sin on his shoulders and conquer sin and conquer death through his death and, and resurrection. Um, you know, as he was on the cross, Drew kind of alluded to this this psalm, Psalm 22, a few times because it has several prophecies that are very specific. And it, it's one of my favorite because um, the Jewish people, they would have had psalms memorized, right? They learned through music. So the psalms are, are just... they're. They're songs that, that many of the Jews would have had memorized. They would have worshipped with these songs, just like we worship with our hymns, and we memorize a lot of our, our songs as well. Um, well, Psalm 22 is where, where there's so many of these specific uh, cross prophecies. And Psalm 22 is written about a thousand years before Jesus. It's written in a time when crucifixion was not a thing. No one died by crucifixion. Crucifixion wasn't until much, much later. It wasn't invented as a form of death. And on the cross, Jesus cries out a couple of things. One of the things He he cries out is, 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 as Drew said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's Psalm 22. That's that's verse 1. That's how the psalm starts. Again, a, a lot of the Jews would have had these, this memorized. And, and if they had just remembered what they had memorized, if they had just looked down further in this psalm, uh, and maybe some of them did, and it, and it woke them up. But if they had just done that, uh, maybe they wouldn't have been guilty of, of the sin of, 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 of crucifying Jesus. But it says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As we... As we go down to verse 6, it says, But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men, and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. And we see that played out in the Gospels, right? They shoot out at the lip. They shake their head saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let Him rescue Him. Does that sound familiar? with The crucifixion story. Let Him deliver Him since He delights in Him. Have we... If we, we go on down here, verse 14, it says, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. What crucifixion, that's just the natural effects of a crucifixion, right? Your, your whole weight in your hands and your, your feet. My heart is like wax, it is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. 
and my tongue clings to my jaws. Remember he said, I thirst, as, as Drew pointed out. You have brought me to the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Again, crucifixion was not even a thought in the world at the time this psalm was written. A thousand years earlier. And by the way, no one debates whether the Psalms were written before Jesus. It's very obvious. Even the world doesn't debate that point. We had a full Greek translation of the Old Testament 200 years before Christ. Um, So it's a well-known fact that the Old Testament hundreds of years before was written. It says, they pierced my hands and my feet. I count all my bones. Remember, not a bone was broken. Why? To fulfill Scripture. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. Then it says, But you, O Lord, do not be far from me. O my strength, hasten to help me. And it goes on from there that Jesus is finding His strength in His relationship with God the Father on the cross. And I'm sure as as the psalm writer was writing this, David is who wrote this, and I'm sure he didn't fully understand what he was writing, right? As, as many of the prophecies in Scripture, they didn't fully understand why, why is the Holy Spirit reading me or, or leading me to write this? And yet, looking on this side of the cross, we see it so clearly, right? And we see it was, it was so that God would make clearly known that this is His Son, Jesus. That this is the sacrifice For sin, He's told us about it since Genesis, since the garden. Where people say there's no evidence for the Bible or prophecy. Have you studied prophecy? It is the most remarkable thing. I'm so glad Drew walked us through that this morning. Uh, What an amazing thing. As we we move into this time of communion, let's just think about the sovereign God that we serve, who, who, who predicts the, the end from the beginning, who had this, this plan of, of salvation even before we sinned, and who, who paid the ultimate price, His Son. His Son sacrificed for us. So as Drew plays through um, here in a moment, uh, you can make your way back to the table to, to grab the elements um, when you're ready. Um, but I want to give you a few moments to just uh, spend with Jesus. If, you need to, if there's a sin in your life that you need to repent, then do that. The, the Bible warns us about taking the, the, the bread and the wine, uh, the juice, with, with uh, unworthily, with sin in our hearts, when we, when we aren't truly surrendered to Jesus. So that's the question for you this morning. Am I truly surrendered to Jesus? Am I clear before Him this morning? Is there any sin that I need to repent of? It's already forgiven. It's already forgiven in Christ if you're, if you're a believer. But is there anything on your end that's hindering you from going forward in your relationship with Him this morning? If so, take this time and, and repent. If you want to come up here and pray, you're welcome to do that. Um, I'd love to pray with you as well. Uh, you Take the time that you need. And when you're ready, um, go back to the back and, and grab the elements. And in just a few moments, we'll, we'll partake together.